0: Rob here just telling you what you are about to listen to an interview that Keith and I did with Jennifer Armstrong, who is the author of a new book all about the world of Seinfeld called Seinfeldia. We're going to speak with her about the book and how she got started on this project in today's show. We've still got our regular episode recap of The Rye coming up. It's not like we're going to push that back a week. We just felt like that this was totally different than The Rye, so we wanted to put that in a separate podcast. So that's what this is. Hope you enjoy the interview with Jennifer. And then we've got our episode recap of The Rye coming up very quickly. So here is our interview with Jennifer Armstrong. All right, I'm very excited to bring in a very special guest. And we don't do a lot of guests on the Seinfeld Recap Podcast, mostly because we are uh, busy recapping 180 Seinfeld episodes. But we've been trying to set this up for a while. <laughs> uh, Please welcome the author of the new book, Seinfeldia, Jennifer Armstrong. Jennifer, how are you?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: Oh, very good. Keith, how are you doing? I'm very excited to have Jennifer here. Seinfeldia is, you know,
2: taking, you know, it's taken over the world. You see the book everywhere.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Jennifer, uh, we've really seen a lot about the book over uh, the last couple of months. Uh, How has the launch been?
1: It's obviously been great. Um, As I always say, it's better than the alternative of no one paying attention. You know, Um, it's been really busy. And, you know, I knew that people love Seinfeld, and I was prepared for this. But even having done the research and saying that over and over again, it still feels really overwhelming that People love talking about Seinfeld this much.
0: Absolutely, uh, Jennifer. I see that your book is with uh, Simon and Schuster. Did you consider going with Pendant Publishing for the book?
1: <laughs> I wish. Wouldn't that have been wonderful? I feel like they would have had a lot of a lot of insider information they could have shared with me.
0: I, I noticed there weren't too many exclamation points. Who was your proofreader? <laughs>
1: This is this is why it would have been better to be at Pendant, but you know, you've got to go with with what you've got.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, could you set up the premise of Seinfeldia for anybody uh, who hasn't heard about it yet?
1: So basically, you know, the the first part is just that it's what I say is a complete history of the show. That was sort of my goal was to start at the very beginning, obviously, and its inception. And go all the way through till now and what we're talking about now, which is the continuing obsession with the show that's been off the air for 20 years. I mean, you have a podcast that recaps every episode of a show that was on two decades ago. Um, that's because people still care that much about this show. And I really wanted to talk about all of that and encompass all of that, because I think it's very Seinfeldian in a way to just the fact that it's, you know, has that meta quality of like, we keep building layers upon layers on the show of like obsessing about it, making podcasts about it. There's lots of internet culture about it. Um, There are still, you know, Kenny Kramer's still giving tours of Seinfeld sites in New York city and the soup Nazis still out there doing his soup Nazi thing for a living. So um, it's really wonderful. And I think the show just keeps building on itself and that's what the book is about.
0: Yeah, to be fair, nobody asked us to do this recap podcast. We just we, we took it upon ourselves.
1: <laughs> but that that even even that, like, I mean, even if you were the only two guys, I guess it wouldn't maybe be book worthy then. Um, but, you know, yes. Um, it shows your passion. And I think that you get enough reaction that it also shows how much people love to just keep thinking about this show. Yeah. <laughs>
0: bookworthy, is that your own term to describe uh, whether or not something uh, belongs in the book or not?
1: That's exactly right. And um, <laughs> yeah, I, this I, guy, I think He's not it bookworthy. Works, right? No, it, to- it totally works. Because um, it's really actually true, in addition to um, being like sponge worthy, which is one of my favorites. So. Yes.
2: yes, we recently talked about that. There's, there's a lot of, um, it, towards the end of the book, you do discuss sort of the modern day you know uh aspects of the seinfeld craze like the kenny kramer tour and uh and uh you know you go into the twitter accounts but there was between when you wrote them i think and now certainly i think the modern seinfeld one no longer exists i think that guy used that account as a stepping stone to uh, write for john oliver
1: yeah Uh, that's exactly right they've they've sort of stopped i mean and it's funny i encounter josh all the time josh gondelman um who was one of the two founders of that. And because um, what happens is people keep putting us on panels together and they're always, it's adorable. They're very excited. They're like, you're never going to guess who we got. I'm like Josh Gondelman. <laughs> 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 um, we're everywhere together. And um, yeah, he's working at Oliver now, which is sort of a full-time thing. And, you know, also I think they felt like, you know, we, we handled that. We ra- ran its course. Like there's only so much more you can do though. So, Seinfeld 2000 still still doing his thing. <laughs>
0: yeah, well. yeah.
2: But maybe for the uh, the second version of the book, since it seems like it's selling so well, you throw in a whole thing about all the podcasts about Seinfeld.
1: <laughs> I might. I mean, I'm actually... No, I was I was sort of thinking about... I, I'm going to say this out loud and never even told my publisher yet, but I was really thinking about like when Paperback comes out doing a new introduction that talks... Because I've encountered so much, even more Seinfeldia just... By going out and promoting this book, which is really wonderful. Yeah, Jennifer,
2: what made you? Um, you know, like we decided to do the podcast sort of around the 25th anniversary. Mm. But what, other than just being, you know, a, a very serious Seinfeld fan, like what was really the light bulb? Like, hey, I'm going to write a book about about Seinfeld, and 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 like, and how did it become the exact type of book that uh, you know it ended up being?
1: It's it's such an unromantic story because of because I think. This is this is why you want a niche as a an author. But, you know, I write about TV history. Um, my last book was about the Mary Tyler Moore show. And it, that was really kind of for me, that was my career light bulb moment of like, oh, this is a thing you can do. You know, you can like pick a show and essentially write a biography of it. And people seem to like it. And so it then it just becomes like an obsessive, constant thing where you 're like looking at every show, every rerun you watch, whatever you 're like, "Could this be? Could this be um, Could this be a whole book And actually, very few shows live up to that standard bookworthy very mm-hmm. few, few shows live up to the bookworthy standard. Um, you can love a show, but that doesn 't mean there 's a whole book because you need a, lots of stories to tell. I liked this one because, as we talked about, it goes all the way till now. And that's good for storytelling. It's also good for, you know, relevance. (laughs) Um, You know, you can pick a lot of shows from a million years ago that maybe, you know, were great, but nobody necessarily wants to keep talking about them. Um, So that's the delicate balance. And there are very few shows that live up to that. And I, I don't know if any show lives up to it better than Seinfeld, though let's hope Sex and the City does, because that's my next one. Oh, okay. um, oh I was going to ask that. <laughs> um, I, but I would put my
2: money on Friends, but I, that actually makes friends.
1: sense. Yeah, I mean, Friends, I, 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 I shouldn't say this out loud, but I've been sort of saying it now, um, that it was like sort of my nightmare that someone was going to somehow cajole me into writing a book about Friends. Um, not because I don't like it, because I do really enjoy it, and people still love it. I just it, it doesn't have the same story feeling of Seinfeld like Seinfeld was this great you guys know the story so you understand like it's this underdog story it's like this show that kind of shouldn't have been successful at all and it becomes this like the biggest hit of the 90s whereas Friends is like oh do people enjoy watching beautiful people say funny things on television what a surprise um, you know it's not as surprising a story um to tell with with all of the different elements so um this really you know does it plus it's all of the things you know they touch on issues and the quotability and the ongoing weirdness i think of the fandom as opposed to just like straight up hey there's some trivia or whatever um it just seinfeld really has a lot of nooks and crannies and interesting characters that you can get into
2: one of the, uh, you know, things that we've sort of come across as we've tried to do a few interviews, although we found that interviewing the actors, there's not usually a lot of, a lot of insight they give, but interviewing the writers, there's, a, there's often a tremendous amount of insight. And in, in your book, I'd say, one, you know, the heart or one of the hearts of the book is really Peter Melman and a lot of the writers telling you great stories that no one's ever really put in print before, you know, just the idea of like that there was never really a writer's room and, and you know, th- that they're sort of camping out outside jerry and larry's office uh you know basically to to have their pitches heard but the, you know the, the hard thing about writing a book like this which is you know similar if you were to write a book about like the beatles or something is that it's basically impossible to speak to the principal for right
1: yeah i mean thank you i appreciate your the, see you 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 have insight into this most people are like why didn't you talk to them um, you know, um they don't it, my feeling that I got from them—they were actually like their people were really nice—and um, you know, Did you come close of, to any of them. They sort of didn't stop me, is the best I can say. Is like, of course they couldn't really stop me. You can write about whatever you want, but like, um, you know, when the writers would email or call Jerry and say, "Can I talk to this person?" He was like, no, "Go ahead, that's great." Um, you know, they just don't tend to do stuff anymore that isn't like their thing, like under control of that. Like if they want to do a book. They'll do a book, you know, and right. um, the other thing is, though, like you said, it, I, I don't want to say I wasn't interested in them because, of course, they're wonderful and fascinating and the, a huge part of the story. But um, they've talked about it so much that it's not like there would be I doubt there might have been. Maybe they would have dropped a bombshell. But, you know, I, I don't think there's a lot more for them to lend to this, whereas a lot of the writers said. You know, no one's ever talked to us about this, (laughs) so which I don't think is really true. I think some people have, but um, very there's a lot of stories that hadn't been told in depth. And I always like talking to writers anyway, because I'm a nerd like that.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, You know, if they I guess if you had one thing to ask Jerry and or Larry, what would it have been? We can add it to our list. We have a running list of things we're going to ask. We have a joking list of questions that. uh If we ever get them one day, it's it's a long list at this point. I
1: bet it is because I feel like there's little things all the time. It's always little things. It's not like... I mean, we all get... We've all heard the origin story. We've all heard a lot of this stuff. um, But things like... like I would really... I have so many questions about the finale. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, don't we all? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm actually even... I'm sort of a defender of the finale and I still have a lot of questions and I have questions about how many of the literary illusions were deliberate? Like, did we sit down to write waiting for Godot for TV when we wrote the Chinese restaurant? Or was that just sort of out there? You know, I have nerdy questions like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are probably better than our questions.
1: Yeah. But uh, <laughs> what I, are but yours?
0: they're really
2: episode yeah, they yeah, specific. Very specific plot that too. points. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they'll, I think both of them, it's like we, you know, if I ever thought about it, I forgot 20 years ago and I'm, right. I'm not answering the question. Either.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I think so much of it, you know, we, it's that thing. it this happens, I feel like I'm today, I'm suddenly in a mood to make it super literary. Um, but you know, it, it does happen with great literature as well, where like we start to read into it, something that isn't really necessarily wasn't there. Like Larry David had to write an episode fast and he did. And then we're like, so were you trying to be, Like Beckett in this. And he's like, I don't know. I had to write it up. You know, like I Mm -hmm. don't think that there's as much there all the time as we like to believe as fans.
0: (laughs) Could you touch on what your process was to begin this? Did you start with the episodes or did you have like a list of people that you wanted to talk to? Because I don't even know where you would begin this assignment.
1: Yeah, it's it's always scary. And I'm going through it now with my next book. So it's like and every time I'm almost like, oh, my God, what have I done? Why am I doing this? This isn't going to work. You know, it's always there's always like a moment of terror um, once I've sound, signed to the contract. But I sort of have a little bit of a, you know, process now, which is that I start to watch. I think that's probably the first. It's easy. It's like the easy thing you can do. You're, everyone has access to this. You can buy or rent or whatever you need to do. Um, so I start watching. Um, I start binging the show. And um, usually I've written some kind of proposal outline thing for my publisher anyway. So then I'll kind of get that out and start looking at it, and looking for obvious people to interview and making a list. And then I'll start, you know, getting in touch with the people who can get me to the people and see what starts what starts to stick and what starts to gel Um, this around this time I'll also be if there's other books I need to read or you know other related shows I need to watch that sort of thing I'll start doing that Um, then it just becomes like you kind of start following whatever starts sticking you know whatever is both accessible and interesting to you. Um, if there's something I can physically do, I like to do that, you know, so go on the Kenny Kramer tour, um, or something like that. And just, you know, you start to really just soak up and become this incredibly annoying person who um does nothing but soak up this one show and so everything I say then at that time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, actually at the soup Nazi place, blah, 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 you know, whatever. Like it just becomes very, very annoying. Um, but, you know, there are worse jobs in the world. So from there, I just start to, like, collect as much as I can and then look for ways to make it into a, a cohesive narrative from there.
2: Uh, Jennifer, what was, you know, so again, you spoke to a lot of writers from the book and some, you know, like Mailman were there for a long time. One of the interesting things I found, uh, you know, that you talked about was like they, they would take some of these writers and squeeze like one or two episodes out of them in season three or season four. Yeah. And, uh, and and, you know, and then literally discard them after one year. And you know, and for them, basically never to be heard. Some of them, you know, stayed in sitcoms. Some of them were never heard from again. But like, what was, you know, what were one or two of sort of the the best? Like, you know, we're just going to take this thing from your life, and 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 that's it. Goodbye.
1: Yeah, the, I talked to a few writers, you know, and this is one of those where it's sort of luck in some ways. It's like you happen to reach out to that writer who happened to be available um, and willing to talk. And yeah, I talked to a couple of them who were just, you know. Bill Masters was one of the earlier writers who was on for just a season. Um and I liked his story because it's kind of like it's this beautiful little extraneous thing where like it all it saved his life at the time. Like he he had no job, his wife was pregnant, like all of this stuff was going on. He had moved out to LA to be a writer and like kind of had all these things that almost happened but didn't and then he had this job and he he wrote um oh crap. It's the the alternate side parking. Is it called the alternate side? Yes, I get all yes, the parking yes, once picked yes. up. Um so he wrote that one. Um, it had That's actually one of my favorites, too, because he had originally had that idea for a spec script for the Cosby Show, of all things. Um, wow. He had he had been the warm-up at the Cosby Show. Um, and he had... I, I don't remember if he ever completed it, but he had tried to write a spec script for that because he was there. And he was going to use this alternate side parking, and that's what he ended up pitching when he um, got Larry David's ear, and that's how he got the job. So he was there for a year, and it really... It it you know it was he just needed a job first of all and it was a great experience and he went on to write for like Grace Under Fire and some other places and he's still writing movie scripts so you know worked out fine for him but he was definitely one of the first that kind of experienced that okay it's been fun thank you for your two stories um, he also was a co writer on the movie theater episode where they're wandering around um, trying to find each other so um, you know. So that was that was good and I think we all know Fred Stoller's story but I still mm-hmm. love it and him um because he to me it was so wonderful that he's been willing to tell his sort of sad <laughs> story of trying to write for Seinfeld and failing mostly um but even the failures they're like episodes we remember right cuz he wrote the soup, um, and we all, I, I think we all remember that because soup doesn't count as a meal, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the monkey episode. So, like, he's still got some good ones, but he has this sad story about how hard it was. And if he wasn't willing to tell that story, I don't think we would have gotten the same insight into the writing process. You know, it's like, it helps to see, Melman just, he just worked there. Like, Melman is brilliant, and he... Knew how to do this thing for some reason. He could write almost like Larry David, you know, and could. It looked easy when he did it, but when when Fred tried, it was like not not as easy. And it really showed what a strange and difficult process it was to write for that show. And I really appreciated hearing about that.
2: Yeah, there was like legitimately bullying. That you one of the more <laughs> sort of interesting uh, things that you kind of uncovered in reporting is that you know it was very clicky. It sounded very high schooly. This you know writer's room or i guess it wasn't a room so just the whole group of writers but there was legitimate bullying and and you sort of uh you get into that uh i i mean oh. i don't know if you named names to, to quote uh you know a seinfeld episode about <laughs> doing the bullying but i yeah. think you could probably read if i remember correctly i think you could probably read between the lines on at least some of it if you're
1: yeah okay, i felt thinking. i did feel that i felt i mean fred fred just has that kind of life and personality I think where like even he was talking about even like even Larry David kind of like sweetly bullying him if that's if that's possible right like he where he he was Fred told stories about Larry saying like you know you have to pitch me more and then Fred would pitch him so he'd be like that's a terrible idea but you should, but keep pitching me more like he was trying to encourage him but also like he'd be like no it's stupid and terrible um and uh you know toward the end of the show there were definitely these like, there was like two clicks um, among those writers of the last two seasons when Larry David wasn't there. And it was definitely like, you kind of had to like pick one and you know, I'm not sure which one was the cooler one. Mm. I'm sure they both think they were, but, (laughs) Mm. but there was definitely this like high school feeling that ended up happening because of the fact I think, I mean, maybe it would happen anyway, but I think because of the fact that they were sort of all on their own you would have to find allies, and um, something that Fred really struggled with, definitely. And Fred, Fred had this one ally that he he talks about um, that he calls his the the mentor, but kind of facetiously because it was this guy who kept like trying to pretend he was Fred's mentor, but really kept undermining him. It's kind of Seinfeldian in, in itself, you know.
2: Oh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're in the middle of season seven, Jennifer, mm-hmm. uh, and obviously a big storyline is Susan. Uh, do yes. you have any do you have any takes on Heidi Swedberg or Susan? And like, you know, we we seem have to have come across just this like she's a little bit in over her head. She she was there for a couple episodes. She was never really meant to be this fifth wheel. And now she's sort of there. And when you watch it episode by episode and analyze it, uh, you know, the way we do, you notice like, oh, she's you know, she has two lines in this episode. She has zero lines in the next episode. Like, do you have any do you have any hot takes on, on Susan?
1: <laughs> I'm obsessed with Susan. I like to imagine. um like an alternate universe where Susan has a tragic, you know, has her own tragic like movie about her life and how this <laughs> one man came along and ruined her entire life. Um, Cause it would be very sad if you told this story from Susan's subjective point of view. Right. And then she dies at the end. It's a tragedy. Um, but, you know, I think it, it's, we all know by this point the sort of stories like Jason Alexander has has told out of school and then tried to take back and
2: tried to, <laughs> <you> know, yeah.
1: <laughs> all of this about how like the reason you know, but I do think it's interesting that it sounds like part of the reason that they even wanted to use this her and this character is like, oh, you guys don't mesh at all. This is perfect, right? Like that's what Larry David was going for, is like you have no chemistry. This is fantastic. Let's go with this as your major long-term relationship because you have no chemistry. Um, so I guess it was doomed from the beginning and that makes total sense. I kind of love that. I, I, sort of, I mean, I guess it makes me a Seinfeld fan. I kind of love that they kill her in the end and everyone's like, eh. <laughs> So I, I you know, who knows how, how that feels as a person, but um I do think it was it was one of the great moments of like the show can really, really, really do anything at this point. Um and it's it's funny to to now know the backstory of that.
2: Right. I think when it was going on no one had any idea. They just assumed, okay, you know, nobody would last forever if you're not in the core four. Uh, and right. you know, it really trickled out many years later, all that, you know, she wasn't a good actress and, and no one had any chemistry with her. That stuff was really a decade after the show was over.
1: Right. And I, and like I said, I think they did do it on purpose to some extent. So you can't blame her. Like they picked her. She's, she was supposed to just be this like executive in those meetings. You know, they picked her cause like, Oh, she looks like if we put a suit on her, she looks like a nice executive lady. Um, and then they sort of picked her out of the crowd to be George's unfortunate long-term relationship. Um, and how else was that going to go if you really look at look back at it? Like, of course, it's going to be a tragedy in the end. And like you said, um, you know, it could be even sort of symbolic. Like, of course, she's going to die. She can't. She's not going to join the crew. Like, she's not going to join the core four. Um, so and he's not going to have a successful what? He's going to have a wife. That's not going to happen. So this was this was the only way out.
2: <laughs> uh, Jennifer, if you know, n- now that the book, was written and you know you get a nice write up in the new york times and it's all over the new york post and uh you know people know that it exists and i'm sure people uh like you said uh, really you know sort of hit you up afterwards and told you stories is there anything that didn't make the book that you know that someone told you is like oh that would have been an amazing story for the book and i heard it sooner wasn't book i don't
1: think so yeah i don't think i don't think so far that's that's happened um but we'll put it in a future edition if that does happen <laughs>
2: Listen, hit guy, Seinfeld writers, hit, uh, hit Jennifer up with some the good sequels. Stories yes, second edition,
1: Absolutely, I've been hanging out with them a little afterwards too, because you know we we did an event in Los Angeles with Peter Melman and Fred Stoller and Bill Masters, and uh, Peter Melman has done some radio stuff with me, so. Um, so hopefully they would have told me by now if there was yeah. anything to tell me.
0: <laughs> Jennifer, I know your next book is the Sex and the City book. Is there a crossover? Like, what's the cross section in the Venn diagram between Seinfeld and Sex and the City?
1: Well, the obvious one is Kristen Davis. Um, she was one of Jerry's girlfriends. She's the one with the toothbrush. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm surprised there aren't more like women. You know, they like Jerry dated all the women. Um, so I'm surprised that he didn't somehow date all four of those actresses on that show. Um, and the New York thing is really interesting, too. Um, I actually think that there's this Friends, Seinfeld, Sex in the City thing together. They made like millions of young people move to mm-hmm. New York City with like completely weird expectations about what was going to happen. Yeah.
0: Sitting around drinking coffee or mimosas.
1: Right, exactly. Completely different ones. I feel like with the Friends and, Se- and Sex and the City visions are a little closer um, to each other. And Seinfeld is, a, is strange, but a little closer to real life. Like, I never watch Seinfeld and think, as a New Yorker, oh, that's not right. Um, obviously, you can tell that it's a set. But, you know, the, the ideas behind the plots feel very authentic to me, to New York, in a way that maybe Friends and Sex and the City don't always quite do
2: mm-hmm. yeah they make more of a concerted effort for new york although you know they do make new york seem like a town that has two thousand people in it max <laughs>
1: yeah yeah well everybody I
2: don't know, knows each other
1: but like i don't my experience of new york is is laughably close to that like i feel like i'm always saying like are there nine people in this town like how do i actually run into people that i know it's bizarre and i guess it's because we probably all stay pretty close to our neighborhoods and stuff but yeah it does maybe make, it's an upper west like, side thing yeah, it makes it seem like there's like two people. Um and you know, they're they're the smallest town in the world. I think that's part of its charm though, too, is like having that feeling of, of a world that has consistent characters as as opposed to other shows where just like somebody's a one off and never shows up again. Like, no, the you know, if you go to the same deli all the time and you go to the same laundromat all the time or whatever, you know, so I kind of love that.
0: Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on with us. If people want to get their hands on Seinfeldio, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Any play that's it's everywhere, as you said. um, Barnes & Noble, any place else books are sold these days. Do we have those other places? Um, Sure. Independent bookstores and uh, definitely Amazon and and all of those usual suspects.
0: Okay, so we'll definitely put up a link on the website where people can go ahead and check that out. And Jennifer, uh, it was so great to chat with you.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Of course, you can follow Jennifer on Twitter as well. JMK Armstrong, verified on Twitter. Very nice. Oh, verified. Well done. Wow.
1: I know that was that was a big that was that was like the big development after. I'm going to
0: go write a book.
1: Yeah. Yes. Well, it's you got to be a, t- a bestseller. I I learned. Oh, is that. that what it is? Yeah, I I actually learned. I had no idea. I learned this when my my publisher was actually the one who like reached out and was like, "We're gonna get you verified." I'm like, "Okay." And they we we didn't do that on my last book, and they were like, "Well, you have to be a bestseller." All right, now okay, I know. They
2: throw, were they throwing shade at the uh, Mary Tyler Moore book?
1: Apparently so. <laughs> I,
2: it's amazing that when you write, you know, and I um I actually like Mary Tyler Moore. I wasn't alive, and I don't think when it was on, but it is a really good show. But it's amazing, right, when you you know sort of. Uh, I'm sure that book is just as good as a Seinfeldia book. It like,
1: is, I Seinfeld swear. Seinfeld
2: is so popular.
1: Yep. Yeah. It's it's really no. We were just talking about. I just had a, a meeting at my publisher, and we were really just talking about this. And they were a little like they were more surprised than I was. Um, my publisher, like the actual publisher person, John Carp, was like, you know, you did just a good, just as good a job on the last one. And I, I, and I was like, I could have told you, but I didn't want to overpromise. Like, I didn't want to go in there, you know, six months ago, and be like, I'm telling you, okay. this is going to be a bestseller. But I kind of felt that way just because I know how people feel about Seinfeld. Um, and I understand that there's a difference between that and the Mary Tyler Moore show, even though, you know, a lot of women have a very deep personal connection to that show in particular. And that's what I focused on. It's it's not the same as the way that Seinfeld just uh, excites people so much.
0: Well, Jennifer, we're going to correct that. Keeve and I are going to be starting up the modern Mary Tyler Moore yes. Twitter account after this podcast. <laughs> I'm going to get that. the Mary Tyler Moore subreddit going. Yes. Mary, three spinoffs, Mary Tyler Moore.
1: Let's let's make let's like make Mary Tyler Moore show happen okay. in 2016. Right we're going to
0: make it after all. All right. <laughs> 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 all right. Jennifer, thank you again so much thank for coming. with us. great. Greatly appreciated. Best of luck. OK, thank you so much. All right. Take care. All right. All right. There you have it. Keeve Jennifer Armstrong, author of Seinfeldia.
2: Yeah. You know, it's crazy how Seinfeld is, uh, you know, it's really hasn't slowed down i was thinking you know i love the leftovers you watch the leftovers right yeah and it's it's a very good show some people think i think alan seppenwall every year it's on is listed as the number one show only well, been on two years but yeah yeah both years it was his number one uh a rerun of seinfeld does two and a half times the amount of viewers as the new episodes <laughs> of the leftovers. yeah <laughs> it's for like if you if we were able to like count up how many people have watched
0: seinfeld it would be uh you know it would explain how jerry has so many cars That would explain it and why he can do so many web series of uh, driving those cars. And not and not speak to us uh, on this podcast. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, Kiva, very fun to talk to Jennifer. Lots of great insight. Of course, Uh, we'll have the link up where you can get the book. So the next podcast you're going to hear is going to be Akiva and I as we get into our recap of the Rye. Spoiler alert. I really love this episode. Yeah, the Rye's great. Can't can't dislike it. Can't go wrong with the Rye. Uh, if you're still here, we do appreciate your feedback and your star ratings that uh, we're slipping with our with our comments and our star ratings that I guess that the show is must have fallen off in terms of quality, Kiva.
2: Or maybe just everyone who listens has already given us a rating.
0: Yeah, that's possible. Also, we sort of uh, announced that we are looking for that at the end of a two hour podcast. So I think that we probably have a lot of people that uh, are probably by the time we get to the emails are probably already turning it off. So if we're that lucky that they make it to the emails. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes for the page where you can go ahead and subscribe and leave us uh, feedback and star ratings. We greatly appreciate that. All right? Yep. We're star worthy, right? Uh, At least four star worthy. (laughs) At least four star worthy. (laughs) All right. uh, So uh, very excited to get into the rye. Take care, everybody. Bye.